Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, we're going to discuss In the Heights box office. We have reviews of Pixar's Luca, and F9 director Justin Lin joins us for a conversation. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every Every time you buy gas, use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 169 of Real Blend, a podcast that still lives its life a quarter of a mile at a time. This week on the show, we're going to be discussing In the Heights box office. Was it good? Was it bad? What were the reasons for it? Uh, we're going to review Pixar's new film, Luca, and then F9 director Justin Lin is joining us for a fantastic Fantastic interview uh, on the show. And I know it's early and then F9 is coming, but we have a couple of really good interviews uh, in the pipeline that we wanted to get to you guys. And it's not spoilery. We don't get spoilery in terms of all the conversations, but he goes into some really cool stuff about the the Fast and Furious franchise and his place in it. Uh, before we get to the show, of course, let me introduce the guys. Uh, we are slightly less good looking this week because we're down Jake Hamilton, but we're replacing him with Gabe Kovach. Hi, Gabe. How are you doing? I think I bring us. I think I bring us right back up. You know, I think. I we're think so too. Out. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's very fair. I would argue that Gabe's hair is on par with Jake's hair. I mean, Gabe that's has some true. pretty epic hair. And I, I don't think we. I don't think we uh, ever talk about how uh, epic Gabe's hair. We is. take you it's a little big. bit behind the behind the scenes, behind the curtains of the show. Gabe was stressing <laughs> out about his hair before we got started today saying that it was oh. too high and i oh. said uh don't have, well have i was you laughing seen at the, the tidal wave that's on top <laughs> of my head right now i was i was <laughs> laughing about the timing of i'm getting a haircut tomorrow so tomorrow would have been you know thursday would have been a great day to record this but yes well the tidal time. wave was on top of kevin mccarthy's head kevin mccarthy of fox 5 in washington dc hi kev yeah, I don't think I've told you guys this, but on my head right now is the actual prop from the wave from Deep Impact. They actually just borrowed <laughs> oh, wow. my hair, and the one that they had, the wave that kills Tia Leone. This is it. No, no, it's good to good to it's good to see you guys, and uh, looking forward to talking about the box office. I know we're gonna have an interesting discussion about In the Heights and uh, Justin Lin. I'm super excited that he's on the show, by the way, because you guys know I'm a big Fast fan. So there's some cool little nuggets in there if you're a fan of uh, the franchise. Oh my god, so, so many great stories that he tells. Yeah. So we're gonna get to that in a second. But if you're watching us on YouTube been taking a look at all the um the hair of the Riverland co-hosts <laughs> thank you very much for joining us uh hit subscribe turn on your notifications you'll be one of the first ones to come and watch the show when it gets posted if you're listening to us where you get your podcast needs met head to the description and in there we can tell you how to sign up for real blend premium which is a new episode that comes out only for subscribers on monday in addition to the new episode you get a newsletter from me 
Uh, you get an ad-free experience for the show uh, and just a lot of really great fun content. So go to cinemablend.com backslash realblendpremium. This week's episode is going to be about the 2005 Academy Awards and whether for 2004 Academy Awards and whether the Academy got it right. And Kevin and I now play this fun game where we don't look at the uh, the nominees before we go into that show. And we I just actually prefer it that way. Yeah, it's it should cool. be a fun one. And I think this will be a fun year. Sometimes we think, get surprised at what's. Yeah, I think we've gone nominated. through most of the major like controversial years, but it's the Oscars, so every year there's always bad decisions for us to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Harp on. To clarify something, is 2004 the crash, um, the year with crash and uh, Brokeback Mountain, or is that 2005? Or am I way off on that? No, no we already did that year. I think it's 2005. Okay, we are, okay, we are, we've already cool. covered that year, yeah. Okay. Cool. That is another good controversial one. Yeah. Uh, this week's poll, which is going to get us into our first talking point, is, uh, and Kevin, you get to play this one, will In the Heights earn a Best Picture nomination? Now, the phrasing is not should it. Uh, the phrasing is very specifically will it. So, however many months from now when the Oscar nominees, nominations come out, do you think In the Heights is going to make the cut? Actually, oh, I'm sorry. What do you think our listeners said first? I only gave them two choices, yes or no. I think our listeners said no. Okay, so on YouTube, 69% of the people who participated in the poll said no. But here's what's pretty interesting. On Twitter, 60% of the people said yes. So the conversation was split in different directions depending on what social media platform that you participated in. So personally, Kev, where do you think it falls? Do you think it has a chance of getting in? I mean, I don't know. Like I've seen we're you know, we're we're what, in June now? I mean, there hasn't been anything crazy in terms of Oscar worthy material yet. I mean, in the sense of what we consider to be Oscar worthy, uh, sure, yeah. or the Academy deems Oscar worthy. Remember, we also have West Side Story opening this year, which is another musical. Um I don't Dear again I'm not saying that one musical can get in and one can't, but I you know, with Spielberg, I mean I'm sure it's gonna be incredible. Uh but in the heights, you know, I, I think, you know, Sean, I know you saw it. It's a very very, very good movie. Uh, I, I I didn't give it a five out of five. I wouldn't. I actually wouldn't probably say it's going to be nominated personally. I think it's a very good film. Mm-hmm. I would even go on borderline incredible in terms of the filmmaking and Esther Williams homages and the uh, you know it's a really well made film. But I don't think it's going to be a best picture nomination. I, you brought up a point that I think is very interesting to bring in that I think that the Academy is going to have a kind of unwritten rule when they're looking at the slate and they're going to say that like. One of the musicals, there's three big ones. It's In the Heights, it's West Side Story, and even Dear Evan Hansen, if that ends up being a really yeah. good movie. I can't see two of them getting in. I really just think people who are nominating are going to be like, well, we're not going to put two musicals in. Whether that's fair or not, you know, right. I just think as a person, they're going to say like, oh, I don't want to put two in. Well, and so, it's the, the, the recency of it, too. Like uh, West Side Story will have the benefit of being the new yeah. musical. Absolutely. So, yeah. Also, you know, in the Heights, it's interesting, and I know we're going to dive into this in the box office. It's just a really interesting film, and I think we'll dive into more critical elements of it as well. Um, mm. It's it's a very very good movie. Like mm. I, I genuinely enjoyed it in the theater. It was vivid. It was entertaining. It was electrifying. I just don't know if it had. I don't know if it surpassed that like brilliant level for me. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It, mm. it was like at the line. 
And like, there's a, you know, an amazing sequence where two characters, Corey Hawkins, Leslie Grace are dancing on the side of a building. They built out a gigantic spinning wall like Nolan did in Inception with the hallway. So, I mean, there's some filmmaking in this movie that is truly astounding. I would argue that you're talking about nominations. I could see cinematography. Mm-hmm. I could see, you know, some of the technical elements of it. Sure. Um, it just depends. I don't know. Because we have 10 nominations possible, I never really know the answer to this question because it could be anything. They could nominate anything. Sure. Um, it's at the moment, though, I just don't know. Like, I'll tell you right now, and I know this is completely off topic, talking about movies that I've that I've watched recently, and I know it's not really a movie. It's more of a special. But I watched this, that Bo Burnham special, Inside. So glad you watched that. I... I'm telling you right now, I've never seen anything that astounding in a long time. And like almost to the point where it just kind of blew everything out the rest of the year from what I've seen so far. Yeah. It was just like, yeah. what did I just experience? Like from a filmmaking perspective, from a storytelling perspective. And I, and I we should we should get into this at some point in the show. Uh, but I genuinely, genuinely believe that everyone needs to watch this. I was I was blown away by how he made me feel like like I felt during the time we were all home. Like he really captured what that mentality was like for people. And it's just a brilliant, brilliant piece of work. And I don't know if you would even call it a movie. I know it's a special, but it seems like a movie to me. It's hard to categorize it. It's its own thing, which is kind of part of its brilliant. We we can discuss a little bit now. We didn't have a chance to talk about it last week, but I think even Jake, I think all of us uh, were blown away by it. I've seen it twice now and I intend to watch it a third. Um, because it's that it's good. It's a musical, it? by the way. That's, that's what, kind of why I brought up in the Heights. The There's a musical aspect to it. The songs are yeah. incredibly creative. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's a musical. It's one of those projects Go that ahead. made me, it's one of those projects that made me frustrated watching it because yeah. I will never be that creative. Like, I think I'm a fairly creative person. And then I watch something like that and I'm just like, I'm, I'm useless. <laughs> I'm useless. Well, it's so he did it in quarantine, you know? Like, how yeah. do you do that with the limitations that he was faced? It's I, I love that it's... If you've watched Bo Burnham um, sort of coming up and his comedy, it's very much Bo Burnham and his comedy. But if you watched 8th Grade and you kind of saw, you know, as he stepped away from comedy and started doing filmmaking, 8th Grade is a brilliant film, an amazing film. And this is like a beautiful marrying of those two kind of uh, sides of his creativity where it has this sort of surreal you don't know what's real you don't know what isn't movie aspect to it but it's rooted in sort of his perspective and 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 the kind of thing that he's always brought to comedy which i love and it's incredibly layered throughout which is great like he's always been really good about having even just within a song having layers within the song jokes within jokes Mm -hmm. but there's little stuff where like he opens up sort of being um self-aware about him being a a white guy who wants to heal the world through comedy and then he has a song you know 20 minutes later where he's like you can't just absolve yourself of everything by being self-aware and it's like it's it's a fun fun way where he 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 sort of is self-aware but he criticizes himself being self-aware he reflects that in the whole uh uh, reaction video a lot of social topics a lot of big social topics and he deflates them, you know, but doesn't do it in a way. It's still extremely accessible. Like, no yeah, matter yeah. what group you're in, you listen to what he says and you're like, God, God damn, he's right. <laughs> like, that's, yeah. he's right what he's saying. 
there was a moment where I realized that what I was watching was a masterpiece or brilliant. It was, did you guys get a sense when you watched it that like, as he would take us through the production process internally throughout the film, he would say, I don't know if I'm going to finish this or not finish this. Even though I was watching the final product, I was right. worried he wasn't going to finish it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, like, I kept thinking to myself, like, wait, please finish it, Bo. I want to watch what you're doing. It has even that, though I'm literally watching it. <laughs> yeah. It has that sort of surreal mockumentary, like, uh, uh, yeah. you know, uh, what's the what's the movie I'm thinking of? The before Blair Witch, it has that sort of like, is this a real thing that happened or is this all staged? Oh. But he gives you so many hints of like, yes, it's all staged, but he can still kind of wrap you up in the the fiction of it all. Uh, yeah. I think it's great. Obviously, I have a tech question, Gabe, because uh, you're because you're really big on tech stuff too. Since since he filmed and edited and, and shot the whole thing himself, how was he getting those zooms? on um, time was that done through editing i think he was just doing yeah digital zoom that camera can shoot in i think at least 4k um so he was probably yeah. just doing digital zooms in and out and just doing it nice and slow like that you get that effect i didn't see like in the stuff he had lying around i didn't see any sort of um actual like dolly rig Track. but there are yeah. especially for cameras that size there are a lot of rigs where you can um, set them up to sort of push and pull on their own. You can program them to do it at a certain speed and timing. So he might have had that, and I just didn't see it. Uh, but I think a lot of it was just simply he was really good at at composing the frame and making it interesting at these different levels of um, of sort of focal length or zoom, and then was slowly pushing in and pushing out. There's there's different ways you can automate that. I think it was all digital though. I could be wrong. When you see him, when you see him having like a struggle with repeat, like like when he picks up a mic and he's like like doing something that was supposed to be for the movie and he like gets frustrated and kicks the stuff away. And do you think that stuff is real or do you think that stuff is performed? I think that that stuff is, is written from reality. Like I think that he was struggling to do it. And so he put it in the film as a, he wrote it Mm -hmm. as like, how would I shoot this? What do I want to do in that scene of me struggling to come up with ideas or being frustrated with this? It's fabricated, but I think it's definitely why it feels so real is it's, it's probably based in his process. But, but yeah. I think I think he's choreographed all of it down 100%. to the to the second because it, we went back and watched a couple of his other comedy specials and he makes jokes about how choreographed his shows are like he's like this looks impromptu yeah but right now I'm gonna do this and then like a sound effect will play and you know that he was just like leading you up to the moment that the sound effect <laughs> and he there's another bit that he did too and I'm trying to think of how he set it up but it had to do with the shirt that he was wearing and. Like he turns and then he's coming back and he's wearing a different shirt. But what I mm. what the only way that I could think that he did it is that from the moment you saw him in the second shirt, you were watching the the back half of a different performance, you know, sure. that, and, and like he visually brought you up to the to that point and then yeah. switched and then went another. And I think a and lot I, of his comedy is sort of. And I think he tries way. to tell you that it's all staged towards yes. the end because he, he comes in and he's it, it's. Maybe he even staged it at the end of shooting, but it looks like it was like a day one, day three, early on in the shoot. He comes in at the end and he says, oh, here's a idea for the ending song, you know, take one. It's not quite finished. And that is the intro to the last song or the ending song. Hmm. And so it, I, to me, I think that's him telling you, like, this is all built, which is kind of ties back to the, the, the metaphor of a lot of his pieces about social media and, the, and how fake it is and sort of what that can do to our yeah. minds and... And he's yeah. kind of, uh, I think it's brilliant. 
and it's like I'm you said, Sean. It this. is it is maddening. <laughs> You're like, well, okay, yeah. <laughs> I guess I can make the second best thing. Maybe I can make the, the second best thing. The commentary <laughs> video is the one where I was just like, Fuck. oh my. So good. <laughs> yeah. So then I good. sent you, I sent you guys the screenshot of that poor sap on YouTube who did a reaction to one of his videos from it, and I was like, oh, this guy, <laughs> this guy is a part of the joke, and he does not realize. Yeah. It. yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's so interesting because he's commenting. Uh, uh, what I find brilliant about it is like he's making legitimately great songs. Yeah, that are, like genuinely commenting. It's it's so good. And I, I I said this in a tweet too. I almost felt like I shouldn't have been watching this. Like I I, I like what I mean by that is like I felt like. I felt like I was be like I felt like I was like looking into his life and his yeah. private life, and I shouldn't have been. Yeah, I should not. It felt I, invasive. I, it, was, yeah. it was so raw. Well, and how many so, people? Did we that we interviewed during quarantine where we asked them a lot of times like how did you stay creative you know like you're by yeah. definition a creative person so and we're all in this locked up spot like how did you stay creative and here he is this is special just showing you essentially here's how I struggled with my creativity right. and you have this yeah. special as a result of it so it's I I want to believe that what I was watching emotionally was real like I I just want to believe it like I want to mm-hmm. believe that what he was going through was real because. It was so it, it just hit me so hard emotionally, not only just the commentary about social media, because everything, you know, it's so interesting how he puts it. But I just it, it just made it, it made me feel less alone in terms of like depression and anxiety. I'm like, I hope that that this is real. I hope that we're watching somebody who's turning anxiety into art mm-hmm. and using it to help people, because like I felt helped by the, the by the video i felt i don't know i woke up this morning after watching it i just felt better yeah, <laughs> and i don't know good. that like you know and i you know i deal with depression generally but like i just felt like i wanted to live my life better when i woke up this morning after you watching can watch it, it just again. really kind of you can watch it again me, anytime man. you want to so it's yeah. bo burnham's inside if people haven't seen it yet it's on netflix and then in so addition uh, a bunch of his other comedy specials are and we would recommend highly that you check them out um another thing that's going to make people feel really good especially if you're into the fast and furious franchise uh, is f9 which is coming to theaters very soon and uh we had justin lynn on the show justin lynn uh, has directed multiple episodes of the fast and furious franchise took a break after six uh passed the baton to james wan who then passed it to uh F. Gary Gray? F. Gary Gray. F. Yeah. Gary Gray, who directed Fate of the Furious, and now uh, Justin Lin is back, and he's, I think, going to stay with it for the finale, don't you think? He's going to see it all I the way so. through? I think um, so. Yeah. So he's got... Uh, yes. Three two more. more. I think it's Three? two more. I think there's oh, so there a two-part... Are... Oh, they're doing ten. You're right. Okay, you're right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, without further ado, Justin Lin talking F9 and the Fast and Furious franchise on the Real Blend Podcast. All right, Justin, thank you so much for joining the Real Blend Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Uh, I'm going to start off uh, by thanking you for opening the film with the older Universal logo. And I I wanted to ask about using that, and then I'll transition that question into it, because when that logo pops up, you can feel the grain almost of like the of film. Uh, And then we open up in the past. And I wanted to ask in terms of like, did you use your film, your 35 millimeter film stock to shoot that older footage? And then you went digital, it looked like, in the in the uh, newer scenes, so talk about incorporating that older logo and then kind of like the filming technique you use for past and present. Yeah, you know, it, it was one of those things where uh, I mean, I love shooting on film, and uh, you know, the just the way things move now, especially with multi units and stuff, uh, with these big stunts, because sometimes we we have so many camera setups that it felt like, at least with this franchise, it 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 had to evolve a little bit, and so it kind of went into the digital. I. I 
believe me, at Fast Six we shot on film, so I was I was still like really fighting. Um, but I think in this case, trying to really have a visual distinction between the two time periods, it felt very natural. So you know, I was able to 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 use digital, but you know, there's also some stuff I I, I use on top of it. Uh, just to kind of make sure that we still feel the texture, but on the on the uh, the flashbacks, definitely you know we we shot all that on film, and it was no it wasn't even just shooting it on film, but the, the rule was that whatever we were gonna do, every shot that was designed, I didn't want to use anything uh, that wasn't of period. So like you know even with the uh, our aerial unit, I was, I would call Fred North and say, hey man loosen up the gyro, you know, because I don't want it to be so perfect. And so it was a, it was a great exercise, you know, and then the, the logo for Universal, I'm glad you caught that. You know, I actually went into a deep dive. That, that logo is actually not perfectly uh, of period. Um, but but I, when I used the one that was of period, it, it, it just it really just stood out, you know, and, and the one we use is definitely the, the older one. I love the grain and it matched because I, I wanted to, I know we talk about it as flashback, but I, I was hoping that subconsciously we're engaging this film as if that's the starting point and that they're actually flashing forward. I felt like cool. such a nerd in my theater because when that logo went up, you just heard me in a crowd of people go, hey, look, like I just because I, I hadn't seen it in, in forever. So that's I, so you, I, this I, is the perfect you, podcast for you. You guys made my day. I, I, I thought, is anybody in the world going to get this at all? So this podcast, thank you. We are the nerds. Thank you. We're the nerds who get that. <laughs> um, so, Justin, I, I'm continuously in awe of, of what you're able to pull off uh, from a practical standpoint. The, your practical effects, that video that you tweeted of, of how you got the car to sort of crash the building with the magnets is unbelievable. Was there anything that you really, really wanted to do practically that you just ended up looking at it and going like, I, I can't, like we have to use CGI for this. Oh, that's a great question. I, I, I gotta tell you, um, it was this train ride to Edinburgh for a scout that, that Han, Han actually came alive on that trip because I was working on the Justice for Han and uh, there was like a, there was a period where Justice for Han was gonna be served in flashback, you know, it was anyway, it was, that was a, it was a crazy trip. And that was the trip up to that point. I was going to get a Fiero and I was going to put on a weather balloon and we were going to take it up to upper outer uh, atmosphere. Um, but the cost of it and also just how to get it back, it, it became this logistical nightmare that I ended up um, using like, you know, obviously for reference, we were using real uh, uh, footage, but Talking to you now, I feel like, damn, that was the the one thing that, you know, I was going to put the cameras on there, but the the recon of trying to get all that, it, the logistics. Do you want that. actors in the car as it was going no. on? <laughs> no, no, I, 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 yes, I did. Um, but I, I was, I think I got talked out of that very quickly, but I was actually going to put the car or at least a frame of a car and I was going to do the mount shots and everything. And I was going to just, we we're just going to get it up there. You know, I, we did all the research, um, but it was going to take, it, you know, I, I mean, the, 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 the number of conversations I had about, about that was insane. But I think ultimately, you know, I, I still had a budget that I was trying to, you know, ultimately, you know, it probably would have been more for reference. Um, and I, I just, but I think as we talk now, I, I felt like, man, I should have just, 
I should have just done it anyway. I should just held I firm. feel so bad for the insurance team on this movie. <laughs> like, I cannot imagine how much you keep them up at night. <laughs> that's, I think that's part of the fun, for sure. Uh, Justin, I'm glad you sort of brought up the idea of Justice for Han and how you guys were almost reverse engineering the situation that you've been given. And so I wanted to know, uh, and I, I'm glad you heard it say that you thought about doing it in flashbacks. What were some other ideas you guys were kicking around for how you were going to explain the resurrection? Well, it's interesting because, you know, when I came back, it wasn't that the main drive wasn't justice for Han. It was this idea of exploring the theme of family, but through blood. I, I was very excited about that because I knew that if we did that, there's an opportunity to, to explore kind of the origin of this mythology and we get to solidify, it, you know. Uh, but then, you know, I think being away and I'd heard about this justice for Han movement and, you know, like at first I didn't even know it was my Han, you know, I thought we left, you know, like I came in with him and I left with him and I was cool with that. But when I found out what happened, I was just as baffled and kind of upset because I felt like this is one of the most beloved uh, characters and the, and, and the way it was treated, it was like as if he was a non, like, and I think him being maybe Asian American and also so close to me and, and my journey, it definitely did strike a nerve. So, um, you know, I felt like we had to do something, you know, and, 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 and I'll, I'll say this, I, I, I actually feel fortunate because if none of that happened, Han actually wouldn't even be back. Right. And so, um, so the fact that he's back, I would say him being back is not justice. You know, I think it's, it, it's how we treat him from this point on out. I think that's justice for me. And, 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 and in a way, how we treat every character is, is the way we, you know, I think that's, that was the spirit of fast when we started. And, and, um, it's something that, you know, coming back, it has special meaning. You know, Justin, I've been a fan of this franchise for 20 years, so much so that a little dialogue moment in the car from the first one where Vin's explaining that he beat someone within an inch of his life, that comes full circle here and you like get to play it all out. But one of the things I really, you know, I, I've been watching these films, I'm emotionally invested in these characters. And with Paul Walker, I, I, I was very interested in knowing kind of how you navigate, how you explain his, his absence in, in the films. And I think the way you did it here was brilliant, to be honest with you. I was talking to my wife after I saw it. I'm like, that was a really smart way to do it because I, I wanted to ask if you could talk about in terms of how you found the proper way to explain Brian's absence in the world and kind of like, did you have other ideas and kind of how'd you come up with the one you did? Oh man, uh, it, it's, a, it's a constant conversation for me, even with myself, constant. Um, you know, I, I, obviously Paul is very close to, 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 to me, to this franchise and, um, you know, his, his passing happened while I was away. So the decision to, to have Brian, uh, live on in the universe, you know, it, it, it was very interesting. And, and, and in a way I, 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 I I'm, I'm kind of glad that he's still living on, you know, in the universe, but coming back, you know, obviously that's a huge issue. And whatever we do, I want to make sure it's thoughtful and that it's done out of respect. Um, and on this one, uh, because of the existence of Jacob, you know, he's, he's not only brother to Dom, but he's also brother to Mia. It felt like it was also a way to, to bring Mia and Jordana back into the franchise. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I would say, you know, <laughs> I, I, it's, I can't even count the, the amount of conversations and attempts. Um, I mean, I would say Fast 9, I think we had a script 
and I would say that I have like three other scripts. Like there was a Han script. Like you could almost have a movie about Han, the amount of work we did. You know, there's a there's probably a script about young Dom and Jacob that that we worked on. You know, um, and then so. I think it's it's it. I felt like coming back, and, and it's 20 years. It, it, we we maybe for the first time we earned the right to be able to take a little break and really kind of explore these things. And and hopefully, if you don't get everything you want, you know that there was a lot of thought that got put into it. And maybe one day that story will come to life. Mm. Wow! Thank you. Wow. Um, you know, Justin, one of the the interesting things that comes with uh, a new Fast movie coming out is discovering what it's going to be called. Like you never, you know, whether it's F9 or Fast Five or Fast and Furious or The Fate of the Furious. Uh, for the next film, how is it not going to be Fast 10, Fast 10, like fasten your seatbelts, like F-A-S-10 for seatbelts? <laughs> I love that. Um, I, I, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, I, 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 I'll tell you, you know, um, if you watch uh, Fast 6, it's called Fast and Furious 6 right but when you watch a movie it's called furious six yeah i remember that and then i remember selling that junket in london yes we remember yeah, and yeah. Kevin, and I look, kevin and i looked at each other in the theater and we go wait what like, is this which one is this called what's yeah. it called yeah. <laughs> oh it, it was it was it's so so this is something that happens all the time and obviously you know i i have a great time we have great relationship with the i have a great re- relationship with the studio but i was like Man, it was called Fast Five, so you can have Furious Six. That was always by design, and somehow, for some reason, it became Fast and Furious Six. Um, so, so there, there were some uh, very heated, I, 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 not heated, I would say spirited uh, conversations about titles. Um, but, but it, you know, we're, I think we always have uh, fun in, in, in how we choose to kind of label each new chapter. I think that came from uh, when when Vin and I first got together and, you know, this is just talking him into coming in to do that one scene for Tokyo Drift, you know? And, and we talked about yeah. like the connection between the characters and, and, and all that. And, and if we were lucky enough to make another one, like let's not do the same thing over and over again. Let's try to like challenge ourselves. Let's evolve the franchise. Let's evolve the characters. And so I think the, 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 I think the spirit of that actually went all the way in naming uh, our movies. Um, so, you know, I think F9 is, is the one you see the fast saga. It, it's our, our, it's actually the, for the first time, our commitment to not just the one movie and earning another one. It's actually our commitment to, to, to a chapter. So fast nine is kind of, I think it's about, you know, bringing characters back, introducing new characters, but hopefully we're setting everything up now for our final chapter. I got to tell you, if the next one ends up being called, Fast 10 or Fast 10. Like, I want an associate producer credit on that. You're getting nothing. You're getting nothing. I get it, yeah. Associate you, you, producer you, credit. It's <laughs> on camera. Uh, Justin, I promise you that this next question will be pulled and saved for long after the movie is open because I don't want to ruin anything. But I have to tell you that I think the move that you made in Fast 5 to bring The Rock in uh, is one of the most genius moves in a long-running franchise um, probably that I've ever seen. Like, I can't imagine how much that invigorated the action on screen. And he's a, per- a personality that just fit, right? So we get to your mid credit sequence. You pull a thread that brings, starts to bring a lot of characters back in. Do, don't you think that The Rock has to be part of the finale? Well, it's interesting you, you, the way you're phrasing that because I actually, you know, and I do this on all the movies, right? Like, um, 
it's actually like a it's like a weekend for me of fun of like all right cool like fast five what's what's sean boswell doing <laughs> you know or or whatever you know um it, and then it's funny if you ever i think vin still has it he literally has like uh this board and has every character in the universe and it has like those threads you know that like connects everybody it's like a yeah. like i feel like i'm in the fbi or something looking for a serial killer <laughs> um but but i i think that's always been our approach you know um uh the fun of it is is like yes we're, we're going to be able to like hopefully share something with everybody for two hours but so many of the conversations i have is about characters that's not even in there but it's still obviously they're living and breathing in the universe so you know on this one when i came back it, i i was thinking a lot about hobbs and, and shaw and all the other characters you know and so um i i never i never think of them as being gone for sure okay. so um yeah that's awesome all right justin i'm gonna bring this up because uh, jake mentioned the shot already but i wanted i, I want our show is designed to talk about filmmaking and practical effects. Um, I know you've talked about this before, but I want you to tell our audience, since we have a little bit of a longer form here, about that four second sequence uh, as the car is pulled through the building into the yellow truck. Um, a lot of people would probably assume that something like that would have to be, would have to be done by CGI. And, and, and clearly you were like, no, we're doing this practically. And, and I, I gotta I tell you, yesterday I was watching this film in a theater the practical effects in this film are absolutely insane. Like it felt like you found this perfect balance. I, I would almost call it like Jurassic Park in the sense where like you, you have that perfect balance between CGI and practical. It, it feels like it's meshed in a way where you can't tell what's what. Um, and I think that's a great thing you've done as a filmmaker. But for our audience, can you walk us through the process of that, she that, of that scene? And uh, because as uh, it's a magnet scene for people who are listening who don't know what we're referring to, the magnet pulls this car through a building into a yellow truck. Um, tell us how you did it. Wow, I, look, I think to fully kind of tell that story, probably I would say I, I, we got to go back to Fast Five, you know, um, because when I first started, it, it's interesting because when it comes to action, a lot of times you come up with an idea and there's, you know, there's the best effects people out there, whether, you know, it used to be special effects, there's still a big part of it, but then visual effects started to kind of come in and it becomes a negotiation of the two. And there's never like a right way. It's just your way, how you want to use the ingredients, you know? And, and I remember on, uh, on Fast Five, I, I wanted to flip that bus, you know? And I learned very quickly, the, the people who design buses are amazing because they don't want the bus to flip. They're not supposed to flip. <laughs> and, and so I'm having meetings with- sense with special effects and they're like, oh, so it's a, it's a one cannon to a pole and you, we need to cover it, you know, in two shots and this and that. And I said, no, 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 no. Like, let's, how do we do that in one shot? And they're like, you can't like, can you? And I said, no, let's do it in, in one shot. And so they went back to their drawing board. We ended up uh, creating the, like two cannons, one of the biggest cannons I've ever seen. And, uh, and Corey Eubanks, Bob Eubanks' son was the stunt driver that day. Right. And, um, and we actually went out uh, and we were shooting. And I remember the first time uh, he, he, uh, he skid that bus and it went over. But the cannon, I still remember I was in the long lens. I was like a half a mile away. The cannon didn't go off. It was a 50 cent piece that didn't trigger. And I'm sitting there and I could see the cannon pointing towards us. And it was like, run! And we're running away. Um, and that day it didn't work. Um, and then so we had to like, 
I, I remember I ran back to the lab. This is when we still like budgets really tight. And I said, do not release the negative. I do not want the studio. Any, I don't want anybody to see the footage. I want to control the footage. And, uh, and we went back and I talked them into giving us another day. And so, because it was so new, they were building all these things. And then the, the second time we tried it, it went off and that bus just flipped. And um, it was unbelievable. But it was that day kind of changed everything for us in that, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, let's, let's really talk about the beats. Let's not say, oh, well, this is the way it's always been done. Let's talk about how can yeah. we really achieve this in, you know, because I have the smartest, most talented people in the world, you know? And so um, I, I feel like that was a turning point for, for me and, and for us. And so this goes all the way to like the vault, you know, the vault scene, you know, again, when you read the script, people are like, oh yeah, it's a VFX. And I'm like, well, does it have to be? And so we were in Puerto Rico and I said, hey, you know, let's build a, a, a structure. So we built this uh, open structure of, uh, of, a, of a cube. And I, we literally put it on two cars and we just dragged it. And we didn't know what was going to happen, but it was amazing. It was, it was taking out sidewalks and everything in this lot. And I was like, so we're going to do this practically. And um, again, it was like, uh, you know, it was me, I think younger filmmaker, I was trying to figure out like, okay, cool. There's all these ingredients. I can, I can start there and then we can use the tools to help uh, enhance, right? And, 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 and if anything... I, I could be sitting in that dark room with, you know, people from around the world and I have a point of reference, you know, because when you're talking about action, everything is subjective. What's real to me and to you could be completely different, you know, but to be able to capture it for real, it just it changes the game, you know. And so, you know, by time now, you know, I think everyone's used to me, you know, <laughs> when I when I said, hey, we're going to suck a card through a building. They're like, okay, we got to figure out how to do this practically first, you know? And so, um, you know, it took a lot of time to find the right location in Edinburgh to build it, to be able to capture, digitize it. And then um, I remember the first day when we did it, uh, the car actually went through the first window, but it got stuck with all the whiskey bottles and stuff. And so we had to bring in another car and then we had it, it ended up costing us three cars, but that took eight months of prep of different departments of art department, visual effects, special effects, everybody coming together and make sure that we capture, you know, shooting the plates before so the sunlight actually matches and it just goes on and on. But I, I love it. I love it. I, that's, that's the I thing. I love that, to see a movie about your budget team. Like every day they're like, he wants to do what? <laughs> well, I, I'll, t I, I'll tell you, there's the team that like is sitting there and we're just coming up with a crazy idea. Then you go to the accounting office. I'm sure that's a whole other story. They're the ones. <laughs> they're the ones who are furious. Justin, we're getting the wrap. You have a busy day, man, but we really appreciate uh, you joining us on the podcast and, uh, continued success man I hope we get to talk to you again soon no thank, hey, thank you guys for all your passion and everything no, man it means a lot thank you very much to Universal Studios for giving us time with Justin Lin and Kevin is going to uh, Kev's a huge Fast and Furious fan and uh, yeah Kev give a, a, a very very brief knowing that you'll get into a full review later uh, what did F9 do for you 
Yeah, I loved it. And this is coming from somebody who's been a fan of this franchise for 20 years. And to me, this film feels like a love letter to the first one, just in terms of just the scope of the story. And I, and I listen, I get Fast and Furious for, for some people. It's just it's just so over the top and ridiculous and for dialogue. I get it. <laughs> but for me, I just I sit down and I buy in. I'm all in. I get it. I'm cool with the bad soap opera one liners. I'm all in on it. And the action in this one got to give Justin Lin credit and we talked about it in the interview you heard all the practical things he went through Gabe you're going to dig this when you when you hear the audio uh, about how he explains how they did the um, fast 5 sequence with the with the bank vault um, oh, okay. which is just un- like he explained it it's unbelievable how much he per- how much he focuses on practical effects yeah. and i think a lot of people assume these movies are are very CGI heavy and they are don't get me wrong there's definitely CGI in this film for sure but at the same time, he's doing what he can do in camera. So I just respect Justin Lin for that. I just and shoot it on film well. up to a certain point, shot on film, and and shoots some yeah. of F nine on film as well too. Yeah, like because F nine uh, for people who are, are, are this is super quick, but basically in the in the Fast Nine franchise in this particular movie, we go back to Dom's story. So we obviously know John Cena is his brother, Jacob Toretto, but we go back and we learn the story about how Vin Diesel's character, Dominic Toretto, ended up in prison, which is the line he mentions in the first Fast and Furious film. And that all backstory is shot on film. So like the film opens up on 35 and you're on this like racetrack in like the 80s and it's like awesome. And then like, and then we go back and forth between digital and Wait, film in terms of the Please tell me we so. meet the Toretto father. Do we meet the Toretto father? Oh, are you, are you, am I spoiling this? I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> all right, don't, all right, don't, don't, don't. Leave don't, it alone, don't. leave it alone, yeah. <laughs> That's one of those roles where if they do show them, I hope they cast somebody really perfect. <laughs> That's all I want to know. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. All right, let's get to uh, talking points <coughs> this week. And one of them is something that we brought up earlier, which is In the Heights. So In the Heights uh, opened in theaters and also on HBO Max. And it had a lower than expected um, domestic poll. People were putting it in the 15 to $20 million range. It ended up with $11.5 million domestic. And on the Real Blend text thread, we were having a lot of conversations about what the cause of that might be. 
whether it was the fact that the popularity of the show or the demand for the show didn't really exceed um, the film Twitter bubble, you know, and people on social media talking about how much they were going to enjoy it, whether the fact that it's just available on streaming um, played into the fact that it was much easier to just press play. And and I will say that that all of the people who I saw talking about it made sure to emphasize the point, people who were who had seen it on a big screen, to say, go out of your way to see this movie on a big screen. Um, mm. But I, I will admit that Michelle and I watched it Saturday night at, at home on HBO Max. And it's... Listen, I would have loved to go out to the movie theater. I, we just didn't have the time to go out and, and see it at the movie theater. Um, PJ was having a bunch of friends over at the house. Brennan's at the beach with a friend. Like, and it we just is couldn't two get away. and a half hours long. It's long. It is long. It is long. Um, Can I pause you for one second? Sure. What you just said is interesting because you said we didn't have time to go see it. Yeah. If it was a movie you truly wanted to see in theaters, you would have made the time, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. You would have found, you would have found a window. Like, let's, let's say this was Avengers, right? Okay. Yeah. And like you, yes. were, you were, you're not, right. you're not a film critic. You're just a, you're just a, uh, a guy who's at home with his family. Yep. You're not in the business and like Avengers is playing in theaters. Yep. You would find time right. to go see it. I so even, it, it, it's, it, yeah. you're right. You're right. You're a hundred percent right. And, and yeah. yeah, because it's, I would want my first experience of that movie to be a big screen. Like the one I'll equate it to is Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad is right. coming and it's going to be the exact same scenario. It's going to be in theaters on HBO Max. But I want my first time through with the Suicide Squad to be on a big right. screen. I made the conscious decision to say, right. I can watch In the Heights at home. Even How after many everyone people said, did that, though? My parents did that, too. And and then and so we'll, we'll jump into our box office discussion as well. We'll get into the HBO Max element as well. I know Gabe had a point as well. But it, these are the questions that are interesting because we've seen films on HBO Max that have done well in theaters, mm-hmm. uh, Conjuring and, and Godzilla vs. Kong. And then you have a film like this where... You're kind of in that middle ground where both you and my parents were like, I really want to watch this movie, but I don't want to go out to see it. Yeah. And you just wonder how many people did that. And I know there was a great article that I think Jake shared in, in the thread about did HBO Max really hurt the box office? And I, I don't think it's a black and white answer. I think there's a yeah. very I think there's like a lot of gray area here. But I agree. The, you're, you and Michelle and my mom and dad are four people that probably would have bought tickets to this film in some way, shape, or form in a different day or time or whatever it was and given to the box office so you could see it. Four people who love the movie theater experience. So we really, sure. like your parents do, or we do, yes. Let me ask you this. Yes, if, if Let's yeah. say this weekend, you know, I agree that if it was Avengers, I mean, the, the last month of your life would have been sculpted around <laughs> sure. going to see mm-hmm. this, quite literally. Yes. Even if you weren't the managing editor of a site that covers superhero films. Right. You would probably yeah. still be like, nope, can't do that. Nope, I'm I'm busy that weekend. You know, that that's yeah. a different... PJ, your friends aren't coming over. We're going to see Avengers kind of, course, of thing. Of course, yes. Yeah. But, but that aside, let's just say with this, something comes up, whatever. You don't have time this weekend. If you could only see this in theaters for the next six months, and it was only going to be in theaters for the next, you know, two months. Yeah. Within that time frame, would you have made time to go see In the Heights within the next few weeks? Yes, absolutely. That's what um, HBO Max loses, is the... You go, ah, I don't have time to do that. Rather than getting it in a couple weeks, mm-hmm. you just watch it at home and then you forget it in a week. And yeah. The average audience. Yeah. And I but think that's the big problem that, that, that they're I seeing. I think that, yeah, no, I think you're correct in that for sure. But one of the things I'm going to fault this campaign for doing is that I, nothing that the studio did sold me on 
you need to come out and see this in the I don't know how they chose to sell it, but they didn't showcase a song well enough or the music well enough to me. There isn't a huge leading star that makes me think like I know Anthony Ramos, you know, and I don't I don't mind going to go see him in in the show. And he was great. He was terrific. But they're beyond. It's a new Lin-Manuel Miranda um, show. Uh, and, you know, everyone knows him from Hamilton. That seemed to be the hook, uh, you know, enough to get people in. And it wasn't enough of a hook that made me say like that. And here's the thing, too. I'll be brutally honest. Like, I told you I was late to Hamilton. Um, and when we watched Hamilton on Disney Plus, when they finally made it available, Michelle and I were like, Jesus, we were idiots for not watching this. I don't think In the Heights is as good as Hamilton. I think it's Hamilton not. is way better. I think the music is way better. So I was a couple of songs deep into In the Heights. And I looked at Michelle and I was like, this is pretty good. But I wasn't blown well, away by it. Well, it's interesting because when Hamilton hit Broadway or pre-Broadway, if you think about it from that bubble perspective, there was no real famous song in that show right. and sure. or and Person. or famous star in the yeah. show. But that show obviously gained a very specific traction. It became arguably the, one of the biggest shows of all time. Yeah. Um, so it, 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 these are interesting debates because, yeah, in the Heights you could argue falls in that same category. Not a famous song that we know of yet. I mean, this show was written before Hamilton, so that's another element. Like, people didn't realize that came before Hamilton. Sure, it was just yeah. coming from the creator of Hamilton. And I think... Without um, without Hamilton, would this have gotten a movie? No. No, probably not. Right? I think but, that's but, the whole but selling But they're selling point. it on... Yeah, they're selling it on from Lin-Manuel Miranda, yes. uh, mm-hmm. the creator of Hamilton. And like, and at the end of the day, In the Heights is very good. I mean, we all, mm-hmm. we all, there's nothing wrong with this film. It's a gorgeous film. It's incredible about in terms of just like what it does in, in terms of filmmaking and performances. But at the same time, like it is a tough sell. But you mentioned film Twitter bubble. And this is, I keep having this realization every time this happens and, I, and then I forget about it. And then it gets sucked back into the world. You think that's going to be the biggest thing of all time. You would think based on my Twitter feed last week that In the Heights was going to be the biggest movie ever made. (laughs) It was literally all over my feed. Like every single person was talking about it. I'm like, this is going to do 50 million. This is going to be huge. (laughs) And then then it just, as Sunday rolled around, or we get the Friday night numbers, the 5 million for Friday, uh, including Thursday previews. And I I just stopped to think for a second. I'm like, we I, we literally, I guess I'll say this, I sometimes take my Twitter timeline as gospel because you just think and, and then you forget to realize that there's a whole nother world outside yeah, of completely. just that timeline. And I know that sounds obvious. Right. But you just as, forget how you know, few when, people that actually is like like it made eleven million dollars, right. eleven million dollars at fifteen dollars a ticket is a lot of people. That's hard for you to sure. fathom getting sure. that many opinions, you know, on one mm-hmm. thing. So it's yeah. I also think a movie like In the Heights plays extremely well to the New York and L.A. crowd. It's a theater show. Mm, You know, it's a musical. It's an urban show. Mm. It doesn't play to middle middle America. And the other two movies that have um, come out before it are both sequels. Conjuring has Conjuring franchise behind it. At least you're familiar with it. Quiet Place had at least the the popularity of Quiet Place. You know, Quiet Place 2 had the popularity of the first one behind it. So they did okay. You know, not, not gangbusters. Quiet Place 2 did really well. Dude, Conjuring Three, like, listen how guess how much Conjuring Three has made worldwide so far? Just guess. Oh, uh, well, since you say it that way, I'm gonna go high, and I'm gonna say like 110. 
112 million. Ah, oh, damn, that was good. And, and we're talking about a movie that wasn't as well critically received. Yeah, it's yeah. pure pure brand recognition. Um, also, it's people a sequel, just though. love. I mean, it's a sequel. People love horror movies. They do. Yeah. People yeah. love horror movies. People yeah. love getting scared, man. It's like it, like Quiet Place. I think is the first movie post pandemic or uh, pandemic times to cross 100 million domestically. Yeah, um, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and, and, that's true. And, I mean, that's a really big deal. And like, it, it just goes to show you that there's an audience for very specific things. And I, like, In the Heights felt like a movie that would be the feel good movie of the summer. That's the way it was billed. And WB yeah. like, you know, WB promoted the hell out of it. It was mm-hmm. everywhere. It was like they did so many interviews and everything. I am very shocked how how little it did at the box office. But it's also a very, very it's kind of a tough sell. If you, if you think about selling yeah. that, like without, without a star and without a big song, you're selling, this is another musical from Lin-Manuel Miranda and I'm not diminishing it. It's a great story. Well, let me ask a but question. Like, what is the selling point? Yeah. Is, is there musicals. a song that stuck with you? Is there one song from it that really stood out to you? Yeah. 96,000. That pool sequence yeah. is, or no, no, is that 96,000? Yeah. The pool sequence is 96,000, right? Yeah. The, the entire pool sequence is outstanding. I think so. Um, yeah, there's a lot of like phenomenal songs. The I like grandmother's like the, song. The, the grandmother's song is really beautiful too. Oh, but. Abuelo Claudia is my favorite character in that movie. That, that mm-hmm. that's that character is so brilliant. She's the character who kind of takes care of um, Anthony's character and kind of the neighborhood specifically. That performance, I think she deserves an Academy Award nomination. Okay, that, see that. performance is unbelievable. I, everybody listening to the show right now. See in the Heights. It's very good. And I you think can, that... Um, you can watch you it for $15 can, a month or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I honestly think it's... I saw it in a theater and I also watched it at home. The theater experience was way better. Yeah, um, I believe and, it. And, and it was... I, it just sounded better. It looked better, which is awesome. As so. we're wrapping up this segment, one thing that surrounding this that we were discussing that I think we're just going to have to continue to track through the rest of the year is that I think that I said that I think this, I don't know where you guys fall. And I think Jake disagrees with me. I think that the HBO max strategy is going to negatively affect their box office numbers for the rest of the year. I think the thing we're talking about the conjuring and we're talking about in the Heights, um, which are very different films. And they're even within each other, they came out at very different times. It feels like, even though they were pretty close, like it, it feels like there are more theaters. It feels like more people are seeing things right now than they even were when a quiet place came out. Um, but as we get into the fall and the late summer and more things are out, there are more than one release a week. They have these big tentpole releases that they're competing with. I just don't see how a general audience is going to look at the slate and they're going to go, do I go see this movie and the movie that I can watch at home? Or do I just go see the movie that I can? I think they're always going to lose the I can watch that at home battle through the rest of the year. And that, and whether that's, is that, t- a, is that a 50% decrease? Is that a 10% decrease of what they would have made? You know we don't necessarily know, but I, I suspect and I kind of predict that they're going to consistently lose at the box office, so to speak, compared to their 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 rivals. Kev, go ahead. I think the big tell is going to be Black Widow. I think Widow is going to give us a good insight into what the, uh, the, this choice. And I think only it's because... See, Wid- Widow's different because it has a $30 fee at home. And it's Marvel. But, I mean, it's like... That's like... But, Marvel is, is its own beast where... The people sure. that go see three movies a year, they go see three Marvel movies. Like that's the that's the market that they tapped was the four quadrant general audience. So I, 
can you can you really compare Black Widow to what you know? <laughs> well, even... I mean, I think beyond it, it would be honestly, if I'm Warner Brothers, and I'm saying this right now on June fifteenth. Sure. If I'm Warner Brothers, I am, I am doing everything in my power to break this HBO Max deal by Suicide Squad. Can someone let us know who's listening to our show? If if does anyone know the legal aspects of this HBO Max thing? Because if because basically from what we understand, they 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 are connected to HBO Max through the end of the year. Then 2022, they go back yeah. theatrical, right? That that's where we are. The only I thing I can think of is if they have something at all in the contract that when you signed up for it. You know, yeah. you signed up for it recently it? But because you're not, you thought but, it would be uh, available to both. But you just cancel your subscription. There's no, they're not oh, really yeah. liable. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, does Warner Brothers have any legal route no. to no, just they, company. stop Remember, the HBO Max thing? They, they did it. They started it without telling anybody in the first place. They can do whatever they want. I mean, mm. that proved sure. when, when they did it and even people within their own organization were flipping out about it and the artists were flipping out about it. Like I think that shows that they can do whatever they whatever they want, and and yes. as far as the audience or as far as their their customers, they can cancel anytime they want. There's no you know if, yeah. I don't know if they offer any sort of like pay for a year, then maybe you run into an issue where someone you know uh, that sounds like a customer service issue that you can handle at that level. Like sure, I don't know that it's really anything major if they just. Go, I'd be honest, nah, though, I would keep that. it. I I like HBO Max more than most of the other streaming services. I like the stuff that they yeah. offer on it. Again, they but might look at that. They look, might look at that and say, "Yeah, we're going to lose twenty five or whatever. Whatever." I'm giving you an arbitrary number. I'm making mm-hmm. up. We're going to lose twenty five percent of expected gross at the box office for everything through the rest of the year. However, we are we are leaning that against by the end of the year, HBO Max is you know HBO of Netflix, like is is the quote unquote HBO of streaming services now that mm-hmm. that HBO was for cable. If that at all was not confusing, <laughs> uh, you know, no, if they're no, a, if they're that. a household, if they're if they can become, if they can establish themselves as a giant streamer by the end of the year, that might just be the only goal, and that might, and that's a fine so, strategy. So WBC's Quiet Place is opening weekend, fifty-seven million, mm-hmm. and they look at that, and they, you don't think they could they have gone? All right, maybe box office is back. Let's just cancel the HBO Max thing and, and release in the Heights only in theaters. Like, they why very couldn't well they make could, that decision? No, they they can. They very the well thing could. is. That is short term. I don't know that they will because that is a short term gain, and that's something that Hollywood um, accountants can very easily write off within a fiscal year. Whereas mm. the HBO Max play is like this is what we're doing for the Long next term. thirty years. You know, like mm. I I see them sort of. I could see them sticking to it plainly. Mm. Good mm. point. Yeah, All but right. next year they're not doing the day and date. Correct. No, it's which I think is a good go call. December. I think you're at that point. You're just yeah. losing money for no reason. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And I honestly think before before Dune it goes before. Oh, before I would Dune love that. Yeah, I yeah, think that's you whatever. Think does whatever it takes for people day, to see. You think Dune. it will? I don't think it's you going think to. Do. I honestly, I'm saying here today. I think they're going to get rid of it before Suicide Squad. Because what think if they? they, they don't what if they just delayed Dune so that they could just skip the uh, <laughs> day and dates? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So wait. Might let's get well. to the next uh, topic, which is the Tick Tick Boom uh, trailer, which sure. to me looks fantastic. But based on everything that we just discussed about musicals and Lin Manuel Miranda, does that mean that this movie doesn't have much of a chance of breaking through to the mainstream? Um, it's about Jonathan Larson, who is the guy who wrote Rent. 
Uh, and he also wrote this show, Tick, Tick, Boom, which is going to be, uh, which is what it's based on. Andrew Garfield plays him in the musical, and it is going to mark Lin Manuel Miranda's directorial debut. And it looks like it's edited beautifully. It looks like it's it's yeah. in sync with the music and the way that it's being played. And and for people who don't know, um, the playwright passed away at age thirty six. So if this film goes into that, it has the ability to be really emotional and really tragic. But because of all the reasons that we just laid out for the reason that In the Heights struggled. It makes me wonder if this is going to do well. Well, in the Heights, again, I haven't seen Tick, Tick, Boom. I've just seen the trailer. It doesn't Tick, Tick, Boom doesn't feel like an in the Heights style musical where it's mm. like they're just breaking out in song randomly. This, mm. this seems more concert driven. I mean, again, I could be wrong, but there were parts where Andrew Garfield was singing like in his apartment. But there, the the trailer felt more move more movie story than, driven than it felt musical. Yeah, and I guess if that makes sense, I don't know if that's the right terminology, but the. Uh, again, it's interesting because, yeah, I, I thought it was a fascinating trailer. I thought it was edited really well. I thought I'm very interested in see what Lin-Manuel is going to do as a director. Mm-hmm. And I'm very interested. I think Andrew Garfield's one of the best of our generation. So I, I'm I'm always fascinated by him. What if but we then get you put, Lin on the show? That'd, that'd be, be huge. <laughs> that'd be pretty good. Yeah. Get. All right, I'm that'd sorry, be a really big guy. Yeah, no, no, no. But I, I, I'm, I mean, the trailer was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I I would watch that film right now i just thought it was edited it kind of like got my pulse going it was in it was just really intense and i think uh I'm, i would be interested in seeing it but to your question this is a netflix release so we're not going to really have a box office discussion oh in terms right of okay yeah, yeah. Was, so it doesn't, it, yeah yeah it's kind of they could throw but, it I mean, on their top 10 list and say it was great and we just yeah you know, assume that's true uh, but okay but i wanted to ask you a question gabe does andrew garfield lure people into theaters no you don't think no. I don't know. Sorry, I guess I didn't mean not. To answer for you, no, Sorry. no. I think you're right. I guess not. He does for me, but again, it comes sure, back yeah. to that echo chamber Twitter film Twitter thing of like, right? Andrew Garfield is amazing, and I anytime yeah, he's right. doing something this like, he's been doing a lot of kind of batshit insane kind of interesting yeah. projects post Spider Man, um, and so I've I've been interested in him even just in his choices, let alone his performance themselves. So. For me, yes, and I think most people that I know like Andrew Garfield and are excited about mm-hmm. it, but I don't yeah. think he has, you know, he, does, uh, he doesn't really power. have a mainstream appeal. Like, I don't, I don't really Is know he, like, what people are In tied. mainstream, he's kind of the, oh, that guy, right? Like, the, the casual audience kind yeah. of... Because, like, he played Spider-Man, but he played a Spider-Man that kind of came and went, you know? Like, his Spider-Man mm-hmm. is sort of... Well, Sean, you would speak to this. In my opinion, if his kind of feels like it's overshadowed by the Spider-Man before him and the Spider-Man after him. So, like, Very it's... Very much 100%. It, he mm-hmm. doesn't really have... Yeah. Uh, claim to fame in that regard so right. like i interviewed andrew garfield for this that movie nine nine homes which is fantastic film like mm-hmm. uh, remember the movie with him and michael shannon yeah like people i don't think people are going to a movie for him specifically yeah. but like we think he's a brilliant actor and like like you know at the end of the day i don't think someone is going to go to a box office and say i want a ticket to the new andrew garfield film now it could be someone from like film twitter who loves film but at the end of the day like you know i don't my mom and dad i guess they know who he is because they love movies but like it's hard it's interesting I, michael shannon is a pretty good comparison actually michael shannon, shannon is, is a guy who when you see him in a thing you're like oh he's going to be great in it I'll but watch i don't michael know if people go see anything. a michael shannon movie <laughs> yeah, right. dude, and i'd watch garfield in anything i'll watch a i'll We're watch also, an hour and a half reel of him in like terrible commercials if he wants i'll just <laughs> We're also living in an age where Robert De Niro is in a box office draw. We're, uh, well, yeah, we're, that's we're, true. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like no matter how famous you are, I, I think, like I've said this before, unless you're Denzel, DiCaprio, there's a few people left, Brad yeah. Pitt. Like, 
And then you and then you could also sell it on directors. I, I would argue directors' names are becoming more important than some stars. Absolutely, like yeah. a, a Nolan movie, a Spielberg movie, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a Scorsese film. Like like we're we're at a point where like the movie star Quentin Tarantino, I would argue, sold Hollywood. Directors now, or DiCaprio a brand, are huge. like a yeah, brand, like a yeah. franchise. You know, Marvel, mm-hmm. Fast and Furious, like those yeah. are going to bring people in, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, like Vin okay. Diesel. Bloodshot's not doing in massive numbers in the in the United States, yeah. but Fast and Furious will because yeah. it's not they're not going. I guess you could argue they're going for Vin Diesel in Fast and Furious Nine, but it's but it's the Fast franchise. It's Dominic Toretto they're going. for. They're going for Dominic mm-hmm. Toretto, who is by proxy just Vin Diesel. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get to this week in movies because it starts off with a movie that is actually part of a franchise that people might not even realize is an existing franchise, which is the Hitman's <laughs> Wife's Bodyguard. Kev, did you see the sequel? I have not seen the sequel. I did not love the first one. Okay, well, I got a chance to go out and see the sequel. Gabe, have you seen either of them? I've seen neither of them. No, I can't You've say seen either. They look like my yes, cup of because- tea. It is I exactly the type of movie nowadays that has just enough generic bit about it that it's, it could crank out three of them and, and you'd turn around and be like, wait, they made how many of these yeah. movies? Do you see how much money the first one made? Oh, it went off oh. the charts. Yeah. Hold on a second. Let me pull this up. Please the first bring one it up. made so much money. Hold on. Okay. So... $30 million budget made 176 worldwide. <laughs> wow. That's insane. R-rated yeah. action film. Like that movie for some reason had the weirdest legs I've ever seen in my entire life. Like well, that, I mean like, it's what it yeah. it's it's I think Ryan Reynolds is, was on a hot streak when that came out. I think Sam Jackson Deadpool. is always going to be Sam Jackson till the day he dies yeah. and there's there are <laughs> yeah. a number of people that are just going to want to see Sam Jackson in a movie. So I think it had plenty so, of appeal in that. It, it didn't speak to me. I haven't I I'll probably catch up on it cuz again I Ryan Reynolds sense of humor, especially R-rated sense of humor i love i adore uh so i probably want to see him in it and in the trailer for this one looks funny but nothing struck me like i have to see it the director's name is patrick hughes patrick hughes yes and he's an extremely competent director but he's not a director that brings any kind of style or a signature where you're like oh this is someone to pay attention to it's just somebody who does a competent you know a, a, a well done action film sort of thing but you know i don't know if he's there's like a there's a level of filmmakers that work that work consistently, you know, that deliver, like they're not David Leach or someone like that, where you sit back and be like, whoa, wow, who's, this guy's reinventing the wheel. They just deliver exactly what you expect to get out of it. If there's a car yeah. chase, it's done kind of the way that you expect a car Studio chase. Studio directors, they're kind of like remnants 100%. of like the old golden age of Hollywood when there were just like, they had, you know, 10 directors that they would rotate through. And it was like, oh, just get this guy, just get that guy. Like they understand the system. They understand the studio process. And they, like you say, are competent enough to pull it off logistically and this, creatively. I'll say this about this franchise. Um, it does something that current franchises are not able to do in that it is as filthy R-rated uh, in terms of its language and its violence. The body count in this movie it has to be triple digits. Like, there's <laughs> there there are scenes where Salma Hayek is just mowing through guys with machine guns and like Sam Jackson is just headshotting guys like left and right. It's not like John Wick. Um, Cause it's, it's kind of all done for like broad comedy, but the, <laughs> the body count just kept piling up. And I was like, how is this movie getting by in the, in the, in the way that they're able to do? And you know, they're going to do another one. Like there's definitely going to be a third one. The way that this one ends sets up a very one? easy, 
it's going to be called the hitman's wife's son's bodyguard because there's <laughs> there's an entire thing about whether Salma Hayek uh, can have a baby or not because her and Sam Jackson are trying to conceive. Oh, oh so they set he, it up. They set it up. He as... doesn't know if he's sterile or if she needs to get new eggs because they play off a lot about the fact that she is older, but she doesn't want to admit that she's older. And so, uh, yeah, it's setting up what's going to happen with a, a child of uh, these two because they're also psychotic. The two characters that they it. play are... I admire the, the ridiculous absurdity of oh, it. Oh, it's sure. crazy. Like, there's also yeah. a very funny bit that I won't give away about who plays Ryan Reynolds' father in the movie. That's all I'll say. Uh, it's 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 played for laughs. It's it, it's it really hits. I I think that this is fairly entertaining for one of these. Like I wouldn't go to a theater to go see it, but one day when you're at home and you're watching TNT, and if Jake were here, he'd give me shit for watching something <laughs> that has a logo at the bottom of it. But you'd Why, be like, that oh, movie I'll on TNT this. would be like thirty seconds yeah, long. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I don't think TNT's buying true. that movie. That's true. <laughs> All right, fine. Maybe like stars. Um, okay, Fatherhood is coming to Netflix. That's Kevin Hart. Kev, you saw that? I liked Fatherhood a lot. Yes. Did you? Uh, Good. Well, just in terms of like, I I found it to be, I found Kevin Hart's performance to be very good. Okay. Um, what what I call this a great, profound masterpiece of a film? No, but I I enjoyed it. I like Lil Rel Howery. I think he's hilarious. Uh, I I thought Kevin Hart was funny. I, but I'm also super immature when it comes to humor. So if you have poop humor and diapers and things like that, and Kevin Hart like talking about poop consistency it made me laugh like I, but you know it, it, it might have caught me on a day where i just kind of like needed a giggle and and you know it was it, but it's a really interesting story it's based on a true story and hart's character essentially um his wife yeah, what's the plot? dies oh okay so his wife dies like a day after their daughter is born so he has to become obviously the the single parent and it's just kind of his journey with that lifestyle and kind of dealing with his family and his friends along with raising a daughter and, you know, I, th- I think that Hart in this movie genuinely shows some great dramatic chops. I think he actually has a good dramatic range here. I think he there's a couple moments where he like cries that. I, and I'm not saying that, like, if an actor cries, they're a great actor. But it was it was interesting to see Kevin Hart in that in that way, mm. um, because I've been watching him so o- over the years in terms of comedy and. But his comedy changed a lot when he like when he started having kids, obviously, he has four kids now. Um, but like comedy and the way you live your life are affected obviously by your family. And I think Mm -hmm. one of the things I really found interesting about him is that he just kind of brings that realism to the role because he's also kind of been through in terms of like what he does in terms of raising children, not like this character. um, But I think that he learned from being a father and it kind of brought that fatherhood aspect to the character. I thought it it worked well. I mean, at the end of the day, is it a film that I would put on my top 10 year of the list? No, but it, it, it was passable. It was it was entertaining. It was fun. It was emotional. And I liked spending time with Kevin Hart in this role. I thought nice. it was, I, I, I enjoyed it. And it's, you know, people can watch it and say it's horrible or the best movie ever. I just, it caught me on a day where maybe I was feeling, you know, a little more emotional and I just kind of like gave myself to it. And I was like, huh, I enjoyed it. It was nice. fun. It was, it's an interesting film based on a true story. And the little girl's phenomenal. Melody Heard is the little girl in the film. Uh, Paul Reiser's in the movie. There's some there's some good good uh, good cast in the movie for sure. Check it out on Netflix uh, starting on Friday, depending on when you're listening to this. All right, that brings us to the new Pixar film Luca. Uh, Michelle and I watched this last night. I thought this was it's weird. Um, it's very cute. I thought it was very sweet. I thought it was very cute. Um, you instantly compare Pixar films to like where does it fall in the 
pantheon of Pixar films, and it's definitely not of the elite kind of thing, but Pixar has now been around long enough where they have a pretty broad range of their films. And obviously, they have the ones that are like, you know, I would put Soul, I would put Wally, I'd put all those up there on the on the upper <laughs> echelon. But then they've made a few saying. that really miss, like Good Dinosaur, or um, I even put Onward kind of in the, you know, really missed. I didn't I love Brave either. I, okay. I admired Brave, but mm-hmm. Brave was one of my lesser favorite. Even though I admired what it did and kind of what the film meant, I just didn't love the movie overall. But it's, I yeah, like this, the Good Dinosaur is a good, yeah. I put this right in the middle. Um, you yeah. know, I don't think it's as far down as as the bad as the bad ones, but it it didn't elevate beyond. This is a sweet story. You know, it's I thought the animation was beautiful. Uh, it's essentially about it's kind of like the Little Mermaid. It's it's underwater sea creatures that want to go up to the surface. But strangely enough, for in a way that I don't think it was answered, like if they go to the surface, they just turn into humans. <laughs> I don't know quite how that happens. There's like a morphing, but it's just sort of passed over. And then so these two kids form a really close friendship. They want to live on the surface. They And then they, for reasons they can't return and they have to go into the Italian town. And there's a story that develops. But again, it never really goes that far but um overall i thought it was i thought it was sweet i thought it was good for young kids um it'll be on disney plus you don't have to pay the extras not the 30 dollars extra for it so i can see a lot of families put it on but it's nowhere near it's so funny that they just came off of soul which i considered to be the best movie that was released last year so it's it's very clearly a step down but it's still you know better than probably most of the well i don't even know because the mitchells and the machines came out earlier this year yeah. and that was a tremendous animated film so oh, yeah. I don't, the we pixar also, brand we also gotta is, mention that uh lucas stars dr sleep's fake of tremblay he's yeah. uh one of, the, one of the lead stars of this film uh, just, we just never got we never got that picture and no we didn't no i interviewed tremblay and jack dylan grazer for this and at the end of the interview i said uh i, I was like dude I, I i can't not get over that scene <laughs> dr sleep he goes my mom still hasn't watched that scene yet i'm like good <laughs> oh did yeah, you bro. mention fakeup you should have met oh he doesn't know about fakeup does he he I, doesn't know i i was so i, I almost <laughs> brought up fakeup but I, I just didn't. It just I was. It was a Disney junket. I was like, you know, I just yeah, didn't yeah, feel yeah. like I felt. I'm like, hey man, that's. I did bring up the scene, but I didn't be like, hey Mike. Uh, Mike told us about this amazing thing where you had a, <laughs> a thing called fake up trembling. <laughs> Do you think he would have known what that was? Well, I, I don't know because I think they they did it when he wasn't around, right? Yeah, I think they specifically said like they didn't they didn't want him to see it because they were like this might just be scarring for a kid his age. <laughs> like the, that's yeah. just I don't know that we can. It's a responsible thing to do. For Kevin, anyone listening put- to this, go back in our podcast catalog and find our interview with for Dr. Sleep. Um, yeah, Mike Flanagan. They, Mike, Mike Flanagan. Flanagan gives us a phenomenal He gave us, what, 90 answer. minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He 90 was minutes. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, so good. <laughs> uh, Kev, how many stars for Luca? I, I went three and a half out of five on Luca. I, I, I still have 30 minutes left, so I'm oh, going to okay. finish it this week. Okay. Yeah. You like what you, uh, well, so far? You like what you're oh, seeing so far? Oh, yeah. I, I agree with Sean uh, as I was watching it and the, just... I guess behind the scenes information sometimes when we do all these junkets we'll we'll have like three or four junkets on a day and sometimes I can't watch every movie so I sure. started Luke I have not finished it yet but it is from what I agree with Sean it, again I haven't finished it so I can't really give a full review it does feel quality wise lesser than soul and it is interesting going from soul to this because it does feel like a gigantic jump in terms of quality it, it doesn't feel like a, the, the big Pixar movies that we all love but at the same time there are a couple things I liked, I loved about it that I will mention. When I was a kid growing up, I used to build bike ramps with my friends. 
and we would go to like a construction site and find plywood or whatever and they build these awesome jumps so one of the things that this movie brought back for me which made me really happy was that memory yeah, yeah. Um, because uh, both characters end up building these like really awesome bike jumps out of wood and they're like they're jumping so that well, was they cool. want to like, buy a Vespa like they're in Italy and they right. both want to own a Vespa so they tried building yeah. one from scratch and it is pretty sweet yeah, and like I don't know, there were there, and there was another part of the movie that I really enjoyed. It was this the, uh, again from what I saw was this idea of Silencio Bruno, mm-hmm. which was this concept of like s- silencing the critic inside yourself is telling you you can't do something, and it's a universal theme. We've explored it in films before, but for some reason it worked really well here. Um, I thought Tremblay played the character really well. That you know, for people who aren't aware. Dylan Grazer's character is a is the human on land, um, but I won't spoil anything later. But and Tremblay's character is the monster who co- comes up from the water, turns into a human, and they build a friendship. And there is this element of just like I kind of related. I related a lot to Tremblay's character. I felt mm-hmm. like that was me growing up. I was afraid to do things. And then when you finally do them, it changes your life. And these are all themes that we've covered before. Um, but as I was watching Luca, these are things that kind of stuck out. And I think I realized a lot during this film specifically and with soul is that I just really connect with the Pixar messages. Like they, mm-hmm. they just do them so freaking well. Soul was one of the most eye opening films I've ever seen about depression. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that Pixar would come out and flat out say this movie's about depression, but it was to me, it was about depression. It was about a guy who wasn't happy with his life, who didn't, you know, didn't like where he, even though he built this beautiful life, it meant nothing to him unless he got on that stage. And then he realizes later on that once he goes on stage, it wasn't the fulfillment that he, that he needed or yeah. wanted. Um, and I think these movies do such a great job of finding that balance where they teach you beautiful lessons through beautiful stories and animation. And I, I genuinely believe, you know, who's great in this movie is Jim Gaffigan. Yeah. He plays the father. He's great in the movie. I mean, and Maya Rudolph, I believe, is the mom. Um, oh, you know I, I, what, I too? Fin- I want to finish it now. Yeah. The father from the Italian town reminded me so much of... There's a short film that Pixar has called La Luna, oh. where they go to the surface of the moon and they sweep up the, the stars or they sweep up the surface mm-hmm. of it. And the yeah. father has a, a mustache and this hat goes down to his mustache. <laughs> and I swear to God, it's the same dad. It looks exactly like him. Or at least it reminded me so much of him from that short. Yeah, I want to go back and finish it because I because I did the junket on Sunday before I left for Miami. I was in Miami all last week, so I haven't finished it. I'm probably I'm gonna review it Friday, so I'll probably finish it this week. So cool, very cool. All, all right, right let's I'll, I'll check back in with my ratings. Yeah, let us get to the blend game, and this week it is uh, hashtag Ian McKellen blend, and so we will be discussing the uh, our favorite films of Sir Ian McKellen and Gabe being a. Uh, the third chair gets to start us off. Where are you going? I know you don't like to play these games, but you're part of it now. Yeah, but I love Ian McKellen. The first time that I think I must have seen Ian McKellen was Magneto. Um, and I was a huge like X-Men the animated series and just superhero animated stuff fan in general by then. So I was like all in when X-Men came out. It was a big part of my childhood. But the year following, I saw him as Gandalf. And... Mm. My pick is going to be Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings. Pick whatever movie you want. Um, obviously, he has the benefit of playing that character at least six times, right? Is he in all six? Yes. I think so, yeah. Def- yes. Yeah. Yes. Is he- yeah. Yeah. So it's a, he's had a lot of time to play that character. But uh, to me, The Lord of the Rings franchise is a, just a seminal moment in my life. It's huge from uh, from the sense of 
building my identity or persona as a lover of film, the behind the scenes. Like, I don't know if you remember or ever went back and watched the making ofs, the epic making ofs uh, that came out around the Lord of the Rings franchise. It's a huge, it's a huge reason that I love learning about film, learning how films are made, why I started paying attention to that at such a young age and followed that through to this day. Um, they're special films for me for that reason, beyond just their epic scale and scope and uh, breadth of characters and story arcs that they have within them. Uh, and I single that out above, you know, I think he's great as Magneto, and that's another classic character that he played for a couple decades or so um, and was fantastic as. Uh, and he has the he has the benefit of, like, a, a lot of robes and a mountain of hair, but he really does disappear as Gandalf. Gandalf is this, like... Again, I think because I was so young when I was introduced to the character into into the franchise, he's this he's reached that level of sort of ethereal plane in my mind's eye kind of thing of this this grand nature of Gandalf. It's not even Ian McKellen; he's just this this well, larger you, than life character. Which which of the films, if you had to, would you pick to put him in? You know, I'm in the middle of a rewatch, um, uh. so. so so that might change on purpose. Which one would I it probably <laughs> probably Return of the King? Um, I could see Return of the King. He's great in Return of the King. I loved him in Fellowship. That I'm at Fellowship. The extent I'm watching the extended editions, and I'm taking my time because they're very long. <laughs> so I've only seen Fellowship so far sure in the rewatch. Um, yeah, but he's great in all okay. of them, and I I think he's he's great in the Hobbit films as well. I mean, he's Gandalf. Yeah, I didn't love <laughs> the Hobbit films. Kev, you are also picking Gandalf? No question. And Gabe literally hit the nail on the head exactly why this is the choice and there's no other choice. Because I actually forget that Ian McKellen's playing Gandalf. It's Gandalf. Like, that guy on screen is Gandalf. Like, like there is (laughs) to a point where I genuinely, when I see Ian McKellen as an actor... I forget that that's the guy who plays Gandalf because it's so convincing. And I get the, um, it's not just like what Gabe was saying. It's not just the hair and the makeup and the costume. Like there's something about the ease of his dialogue delivery, the 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 presence of Gandalf. It's all about the atmosphere that he creates. And I, it's interesting. I would probably, even though Return of the King is my favorite of the trilogy, I would give it to Fellowship for my favorite yeah. of his because it's his it's ride into Hobbiton. And like when he lights the fireworks off and he's like, and just that whole, that whole meeting between him and Elijah Wood uh, in the, in, in fellowship, there's just something, the way Elijah goes up to him, there's just something about that magic that makes me feel like that's how I would feel if I was running up to Gandalf. Like Gandalf yeah. is, it, it, that's the, that's the, the, the aura that he puts off. It's truly astounding and, what he does with that character. And how lucky are we that, that Ian McKellen even existed at the right time to be Gandalf in that setting. Like yeah. a guy who's a guy who's been playing, you know, Shakespeare since the sixties is the kind of guy you need in order to be this sweet old man at the beginning of the film to, you know, in that, within that first act, whenever he's sort of towering and is very serious and he's like talking about the ring and like yeah. is imposing and is scary. He can do both things. And it's because I think it's because yeah. he's, he has that range and he's so capable as an actor at that, at that stage. That scene when he fights is it Saruman, right? When they're when they're uh, that that main battle at the top of that gigantic, um, like yeah. like the, like the the way that he comes across, like Gabe says, like there's a there's a like there's a darkness in him that can come out really. Like, do you remember? I don't remember which one it was. I think I don't know if it was Fellowship or not. 
Um, but like when, when the ring would get mentioned, you could see his, like the worrisome el- yeah. element go over his face and like the way he would just change his facial expressions from being happy to see Frodo to like the, the dangers that are ahead. And he carries that weight within him because there's so much history in Gandalf. And while if you're, if you're an audience member who's not read the books and you sit down and watch fellowship, that history, you don't know yet, but you know, the character knows it. So you feel the weight of it. And that's kind of what he's carrying through the scene is he he's carrying history and 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 years and years of life and experience as he comes up into the film for the first time. And we really got to get we feel that you feel like you're watching somebody who's really kind of become this person and become this character. And I think Gandalf, it's so interesting. That's probably one of the greatest transitions where in the sense that I do not see the actor. I, the actor is non-existent in that movie. It's, yeah. it's Gandalf. And there is, there's something to be said about the way and like, and going back to what Gabe was saying about filmmaking, I'm, I was obsessed with the Lord of the Rings behind the scenes footage. Like, like there was the way that they did the tallness and the shortness of the hobbits and, and Gandalf, whether it be putting um, an actor in a ditch two, three feet deep so he could stand next to him or it was forced perspective. I mean, if you go back and watch Fellowship, like the way Peter Jackson was playing with forced perspective and camera angles in terms of making the Hobbits look shorter than Gandalf's character or any taller character, it's astounding. Uh, They did it seamlessly. And like to play that and make it real for the audience and not make it feel like a filmmaking technique is again, another thing. And last thing I'll say about... um, Ian McKellen, I got to give credit to Howard Shore too, because Shore's score mixed with Gandalf's personality and, and, and Ian's performance is one of the best married emotional things I've experienced in cinema. Like that piece of music that Shore, that, that main theme he wrote for Lord of the Rings that plays along with Gandalf's like happy entrance is just like, it, it just gives me chills. Like there's, you, I, there's one of the greatest combinations of score and performance I've ever seen. It's just <laughs> astounding. It, it brings out more of what Ian put in just by the music. This is so. this is a bit of a, a tangent. It's Harry Potter related, but you were talking about force perspective and stuff. Have you ever been to, Kev, have you ever been to the, I think there's a name for it, the Harry Potter Museum in England? Where they I took to where they, they took the, Le- the Leavesden Studios, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. they took the studio where they shot it, and they were like, "Let's just make this an an altar awesome. to Harry Potter." Have you been there? Yeah. That it's is awesome. awesome. The, 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 yeah. All the four you mentioned, Force Perspective, they have all those like yeah uh, sets built or like so models cool. shown up that show you how they shoot. That it's it's fantastic. The first Force place you go into is, is so the actual is the actual Great Hall. The first place you walk into yes. is the legit Great Hall, like the yeah. prop of it. That there. was amazing. But like. I'm so happy that Peter Jackson made Lord of the Rings when he did, because had he had so much technology in terms of CG, I would have been worried. I mean, I don't know that I think he would have done things as practical as he could have, but there were like, they could have easily like made a CGI Hobbit yeah. next to Gandalf and made it look like I that. I think the Hobbit, they is, did. the Hobbit is proof of that. <laughs> the Hobbit is proof of yeah. If, yeah. If, yeah. if it came about, because even put Peter Jackson aside, think about how much, how big those movies are. And where technology was when the Hobbit came out, like how hard, how much harder is the fight for him to to convince a studio to convince to get the budget for all the practical effects that they did in the 
Fellowship or in the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy when yeah. the studio could just say, why don't we just do that in post and we don't have to yeah. spend all this time shooting it, which is a terrible well, thing. You, but you know, who's also feels good in perfect those movies is in timing. The actor who plays Saruman, um, the, Christopher the, the, the gentleman, is that, Chris, is, that who that, is that that's who that is, right? Yeah, like, I that, think so. Is that, that Saruman? scene where they fight is so epic because and that goes back to what Gabe was saying, because you don't truly understand the darkness that's within Gandalf, like the, the the wizardry that's in within him. And like that scene when they're these just two gargantuan. I told characters. you on the rewatch, I thought that that was comical. Like, I thought that it was oh, like really no. exaggerated the way that they were like flipping all over the place. And oh, see, to me, that was like the way that Peter did that scene. Jackson did that scene. It showed me what I call him Pete. Like, I just call him Pete. Pete, but you, how do you capture the power of of these characters on screen? How well, do you how do you tell the audience just how powerful these guys are? If they're if he's flipping him around the room and he's like discombob, like that's some pretty wicked. That that scene I will give scares you me. An example of one that I think is even better, and it's really funny that Gabe brought up the Harry Potter uh, franchise because I was thinking in my mind, should I bring this up or should I? How do I interject this? The Harry Potter films have just landed on HBO Max, and like all eight of them are there, you can flip through them. And I'm not oh, going to sit so and watch all of them straight to uh, one one through the end. But what I did late at night um, is jump through a couple of the middle ones and go to scenes that I really really love. And there's a scene in the end of uh, Order of the Phoenix, I believe it is, is when they go into the Ministry of Magic. Um, Harry leads all the kids into the Ministry of Magic, and Voldemort and his crew show up. And Dumbledore arrives um, to almost defend them kind of thing. And the director, who I think is David Yates, who did that one, does this Yates, amazing yeah. thing where the sound essentially drops out, right? Like the, no one's talking and it's just it's Voldemort versus um, Dumbledore. And for the first time in this whole franchise, you realize that Dumbledore is this badass you know, who has all of this power. And I thought that that was a much better uh, explanation of two extremely powerful people going at each other like the sound drops out but all you hear is like the zoom, zoom, and they're, they're each pulling different things and if you're not watching this and you're listening to it it probably sounds really <laughs> stupid but like they're crashing water down at each other they're blasting fire at each other and it's all fast it's like really fast and it's i thought that was a better interpretation but you guys love lord of the rings i don't i don't like lord of the rings you but. actively hate lord of the rings i really <laughs> i really hate lord of the rings which is why for my pick i mean there's really only two people i guess that, that that most people went to and i went with magneto sure um because with the first x-men movie um the casting of the first x-men movie is just brilliant what i just ripped my headphones right out of my ears um so brilliant in that and gabe you mentioned like isn't it crazy that ian mckellen was around to play like patrick stewart and ian mckellen as charles xavier and magneto are like lifted off the page, you know, like yeah. they're so perfect at it to the point. And of course, Jackman as Wolverine, like, you know, you can't top that. But to the point where like when they later recast, I think eventually James McAvoy is doing a good, a good interpretation of Charles Xavier. But I think Michael Fassbender is kind of playing Ian McKellen. hundred percent. Hasn't he said <laughs> yeah, as such? Has he? Fassbender's my favorite scene yeah, in yeah. cinema dealing with magneto is from first class at the table the the bar scene when he says yeah. what do you want to shed first blood or honor like that is the my opinion the quintessential and I, and i get that mckellen will you know i feel like at the end of the day he's the ultimate magneto 
But at the when I think of Magneto, that's the scene that I go to. That's my yeah. favorite thing that they've ever done with that character in cinema so okay. far. Okay, well, love that scene. I like what Ian McKellen did uh, to establish yeah. that character. Uh, I think it. I think it showed too. X Men came along at a time, and it was two thousand when it got released, and it was one Ooh. of the first films because prior to that, it was like Nicholson and Michael Keaton doing Batman. It showed that actors can come into the superhero genre and give really strong performances. You know, it didn't have to be. Um, you weren't slumming it if you took a superhero gig. You know, you could actually come and you could bring nuance to these characters. And I think it opened the door for a lot of other big time performers to come in. Yeah. And, and so, for- and the two of them together is brilliant in the in the sense that not only, like you said, they feel like they're ripped from the page, but their friendship is automatically believable. And their whole history is kind of understood, even in that first movie, because mm-hmm. of their performance. Even though we're brought into them when they're diametrically opposed to one another. I love the subtle touch, and you don't think about it until you see it, but that his prison has to have no no metal in it. Right? Yeah, yeah. And it's just a gl- like a plastic sort of globe, and he has a chessboard, but the chessboards can't have any metal at all. <laughs> you know, it's like glass pieces. Or doesn't the guy, doesn't the guy like, uh, he puts like a bunch of iron in his blood in order to break him out, right? Isn't that the stick so. in the first one? And, like yeah. a guard comes in and he like pulls the iron out of his, oh, iron yeah. out of his blood. That's not right. Yeah. Hey, what's up, guys? Sorry to be missing the show this week. Uh, miss you guys. Love you guys. It was just one of those crazy weeks where we couldn't work out uh, my schedule to get it in in time. But I did not want an opportunity to pass without being able to give a shout out to one of the greatest trilogies of all time, of course, Lord of the Rings. Therefore, my pick for Ian McKellen Blend is his performance as Gandalf the Grey in The Lord of the Rings, specifically The Fellowship of the Ring. I mean, he captures in that film, one, he disappears completely. He completely captures uh, what I believe Tolkien's idea of Gandalf was, someone who was charming, who was a little mischievous, a little, a little devilish, um, uh, mysterious in a way, uh, but also wise and comforting, uh, tough love giving when he needed to be. He was nominated for an Oscar, I think fully deserved to win the Oscar. Uh, he, he just... He, he is what I would that, – that performance in particular is what I would classify as sort of a warm blanket kind of performance. Uh, it just makes me feel better whenever he's on the screen. Even in movies that I did not like, uh, like the Hobbit trilogy, when he comes onto the screen, it makes me at least appreciate that moment a little better just because of how good he is. It is, I think, some of the greatest casting of all time. It's one of my uh, favorite performances of this millennium. And I think it is far away, not just his best, but my favorite uh, of, of his incredible, incredible, incredible filmography. Uh, I love, love him as Gandalf, specifically in The Fellowship. All right, audience picks. Uh, Damien McDonald went with uh, Damien McDonald, Amy, Eric Carter, and Rob the Mind, and many, many others went with Gandalf. Michelle, Christian Hestis, and many others went with his um, performance from Gods and Monsters, which is an excellent, excellent film. Uh, not Home Studios, Udit Vedant, Mishra, and others went with Magneto. And then this has to be a joke. Uh, Zach Abdulbaki went with Cats. And on no level is his performance in Cats. Wait, uh, I forgot favorite. he was even in Cats. He yeah. is in Cats. Somebody put, I don't yes. think they were kidding because they gave a real answer. It was like a double <laughs> answer. But they also said, um, 
uh, they said, I forget what the first, I think they might've said Gandalf, but then they said, uh, uh, Dumbledore. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, you know, two actors played Dumbledore and he was yeah. neither of them. <laughs> close. <laughs> close. All right. Next week, uh, we're going to honor one of the greatest working cinematographers, uh, in the industry right now, a hashtag Rachel Morrison blend for people who don't oh. know Rachel Morrison's work. She did black Panther, a uh, fruitvale station. She did Mudbound some terrific projects to choose from. So look up Rachel Morrison's IMDb, uh, go rewatch some of her films. She's an it's incredible, incredible cinematographer. Uh, send your picks using Rachel Morrison. She is R A C H E L Rachel Morrison blend, or you can email us at real That is also where you can send us reviews. Uh, if you like the show, we're also telling people, of course, uh, recommend us to your film loving friends. That's the best way for us to grow the show out. We don't have a review this week, so make sure somebody heads over to Apple Podcast and drops one there for us. Our next premium episode, as I mentioned, is going to be the 2004 Oscars in review. If you want to get access to the premium episodes, you can go to cinemablend.com backslash realblendpremium. And in the meantime, follow all of us on social media at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach, and at Real Blend. Thank you guys for joining us on this week's episode. We'll be back next week with even more amazing content. And until then, Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Hubie! <laughs> AI. Artificial intelligence. Hubie. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR.